Our sermon this week is from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring about the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to a carved idol. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Peace be with you. Uh, Brandon said we were planting a church in Third Ward. I know I'm talking to a lot of Texans. That is near Ray's Barbecue. Ray's Barbecue. Uh, I know Texans love their barbecue. They do have a very good brisket sandwich, if you were wondering. Uh, So check them out. But yeah, like Brandon was saying, we're planning a church in the Third Ward area. We're right on the south edge of Third Ward in the OST, South Union area that's very near um, the University of Houston. Um, Let's pray to begin our time together. Lord, you are faithful. You are a promise keeper. You care for the lilies of the field. So how much more will you care for those who are made in your image and your likeness? God, help us to live out the great commandment. Lord, help us to love you more. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, use us in Houston and the Heights to make much of you. God, empower us by your spirit to do wondrous things for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Today we start the season of Advent. Advent is a glorious season in which those who have been made in the image of God stop and meditate on the mystery that God has chosen to be found in the image of man. It is in this season that we cheer that God has come to dwell with us in his Son, and he has come to establish justice through his word, through his death, to bring light 
which overpowers the darkness through his incarnation and resurrection. He will be rejected so that we might be included in his kingdom, and he would suffer so that we could be forgiven and made glad. This week, we will focus on one of the themes of Christ's incarnation and how it was promised long before he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Advent is the season of Christ's glory, God's love, and the hope of the world. Today, let us set our hope on him together. Right out of the gate, in lieu of what we read in the passages of Isaiah, I want to pose a question that I hope we answer as we continue our time together. And the question is, how does God want us to pursue justice in Houston and in the world? How does God want us to pursue justice in Houston and in the world? The words we read from the prophet Isaiah speak of a chosen servant that will bring forth justice. So what is justice? Justice is a word that scares some people. It even creates the vision in the body of Christ, but it should not. Justice, biblical justice, means to be set apart in a world that is all about self-preservation. Biblical justice means to be set apart in a world that is all about self-preservation. During the Protestant Reformation, this was a protest to the Catholic Church. The reformers came up with five solas or five slogans. Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Christus, Sola de Gloria. I think that was five. And in America, we have a sixth sola. Sola boot scrapper. The idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, being self-made. And in a world that is all about self-preservation, even in the West, the Bible provides contrasting views to Sola Bootstrapper, the establishment by God to pursue justice. What does the Bible say about biblical justice? Before we get to justice, let's start at the beginning and work our way to why we need biblical justice. If you know anything about the Bible, it reads in Genesis that God created all things. God created the creeping things. God created the animals that would roam the field, and God created humans to be his image bearers. A praying mantis finds it perfectly acceptable to devour the head of its mate. Honey badgers are known for their blatant disregard to other animals. A panda, if pregnant with twins, finds it perfectly acceptable to abandon one twin and take care of the other. Humans are set apart from all other creatures. Humans are made in the image of God and are set up to rule the world by God's definition of good and evil. This identity is at the core of the Bible's view of justice. This this idea that humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness before God. But this is not the reality of the world that we live in. 
We as a people constantly redefine good and evil to our own advantage, sometimes at the expense of others. Self-preservation. The weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. Self-preservation. This happens personally. This happens in our families and in our communities, especially to the vulnerable. God has an answer to this problem of self-preservation. God chooses a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Abraham was to teach his family the way to do righteousness and to do justice. Hear this. Justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Put simply, justice means that we are to treat individuals as the image of God. We, if you are a believer, have been given power from the Holy Spirit to treat others as the image of God. So what does the Bible have to say about justice? The Hebrew word mishpat is where we get the word justice. When mishpat is mentioned, it expresses two types of justice. One is retributive justice and the other is restorative justice. Retributive justice means if someone steals something, then they pay the consequences for their actions. But most often when the Bible talks about justice, it talks about restorative justice. Restorative justice means that we go a step further and seek out vulnerable people and take care of them. We take steps to advocate for the vulnerable, and we change, God's people change social structures to prevent injustice. This way of thinking and way of living is in serious contention with the way our world operates. The world sees the weak and the vulnerable, and they say, too bad, so sad. Often our social structures does not consider others and how we can step into other people's problems and make them our own. But seeking out vulnerable people is biblical. Changing social structures to prevent injustice is biblical. The Bible tells us what we should do for the vulnerable. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. It says, for us to open our mouths for the mute, for the right of those who are destitute. It says, to open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The prophet Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 3 says, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Psalms 146, 7 through 9. It, it starts with like a rhetorical question. It says, who keeps faith forever? Who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry the Lord set the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Seeking out the vulnerable is biblical. Changing social structures to prevent injustice is biblical. 
Abraham's family were to be all about righteousness and justice. But because of our sin, we think very little of others. We think very little of the poor. We think very little of the needy. As a people, we have to own the fact that we all participate in injustice, whether actively, passively, or unintentionally. So what is God's answer to our failure to care for the vulnerable? Let's consider the words of the prophet Isaiah from the book of Isaiah. And before we do so, let's give a a little bit of context to bring us up to speed, because a lot has happened from chapters 1 through 42. So Isaiah is in his own time with his people, and Isaiah is transported, so to speak, into the future and is speaking to future generations as if the exile has passed. From the beginning of the book to chapter 42, a lot has been said about judgment, hope, and restoration. Chapters 1 through 39 of the book of Isaiah are about the judgment that Israel will face. He tells the people of Israel that they would fall to Babylon. This prediction comes true 100 years after Isaiah, Israel falls. So Isaiah is a true prophet. This would not have been a good uh, situation for the Israelites. Israel was in exile. While in exile, Israel did what we would have done. They doubted while in exile. They were critical of God while in exile. They said, God doesn't pay attention to us. In fact, Israel believed that God ignored them. Even with Israel's lack of faith, God still demonstrates justice and mercy for Israel. God wanted Israel to bear witness. This was their commission, to bear witness to the nations of who God really is. That was their job. But Israel did not bless the nations in this way. The exile called Israel to lose faith and belittle the name of God. And what was God's response to Israel's lack of faith? You would think it would be judgment and punishment. But God's response to Israel's lack of faith is a better one. God is going to raise up a greater servant a better servant, the one that we read about in chapter 42. Chapters 41 through 55 of the book of Isaiah describe two types of servants. The first servant, Israel, is described as being blind, rebellious, and fearful. But God chooses to use this servant as a witness, promising to redeem him. The second servant described here in chapter 42 is obedient sensitive, and suffers unjustly, and God promises to uphold him and use him to bring Israel and the nations back to God, restoring God's divine order or justice to the world. Chapter 42 answers the question that 41 raises, how can God use Israel as his servant when the Israelites have sinned so terribly? The answer to this question is the ministry of the second servant, the ministering servant. Isaiah's audience, the people of God, the Israelites, knew that God would restore them from exile. They also know that God will fulfill Israel's mission 
through a servant that Yahweh would raise up at some unspecified time after the return from exile. This is where the Israelite story was headed. The question is, who is this ministering servant, and what does his establishing justice mean for you and your neighbor? We now know that this servant is Jesus. Jesus was the embodiment of the people of Israel. Jesus, the servant, achieves the expansion of his rule throughout the Gentile world. This was to be the work of the divinic Messiah. This servant is how Israel and all the nations of the world can have right standing with God. This servant is how justice will be established to the nations. So what should we glean from this passage in Isaiah? Firstly, God provides justice for the nations through the ministering servant. God provides justice for the nations through the ministering servant. This servant is on an unstoppable mission to establish justice. Yahweh chooses a servant in whom he delights that will have the spirit. We read in verse 1. The servant will have power to bring forth justice. God presents his servant as the only hope for the nations. Verses 1 through 4, we read that and we see that justice is the key word here. It keeps coming up in these four verses. This is what biblical justice does. Biblical justice creates the perfect human society. Imagine a society like one depicted in Isaiah 1 and 17. Imagine if this was how we lived. It says, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Our society doesn't look like this. Our society doesn't look like this because the sin of our lives cause us to be increasingly self-centered and decreasingly others-centered. However, we are to be active participants in the just functioning of society. That means doing what the Word of God says. Also, think about Houston. Think about the heights. See what it needs. See what this city needs and seek the flourishing of the city and those around us. Figure out what needs to be done and do it. We also should figure out who is doing good and join them in their efforts. To say it another way, we should do good, figure out who's doing good, and join them. By the power of the Spirit, we can do good for the benefit of those around us. In the broken world we live in, the obstacles that we face seem insurmountable. It seems that as a society we take two steps forward and three steps back. But there is hope. We serve Jesus, the Messiah, the Messianic servant is the only hope for the world that we live in. Additionally, the Messiah will not only bring spiritual forgiveness and health, but also the Messiah will establish the perfect, will establish perfect justice throughout all earthly governments. The servant is nothing like ruthless human leaders that we know of. The Lord's servant is described as quiet in verse 2. The Lord's servant will not crush, 
but instead defend the weak. The servant won't be weakened by the demands of his mission that we read in verse 4. The servant is on an unstoppable mission in our part of this mission. We have a part to play. Our part is to love God and love neighbor. To truly love God and love neighbor, that means that we do what God says. That means we do justice. We seek out the vulnerable and change social structures to prevent injustice. Secondly, we learned that a new covenant is established through the ministering servant. A new covenant is established through the ministering servant. We read this in verse 6. The servant was called in righteousness. The text says, taking his people by the hand and keeping them. He is also given as a covenant for the people. Verse 6. This covenant language is a reminder that God is about his glory and that God keeps his promises. There are several covenants in the Bible. A covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other. We should think of marriage when we think of covenants. Covenants contain defined obligations and commitments. Covenanting was a common part of what it meant to live in the ancient Near East. It makes sense that a merciful God would reach out to humans to reveal himself and bring about reconciliation through a structure that they would have already understood. God was strategic in this way in how he described covenants. Similarly, the New Testament presents Jesus as the offspring of Abraham. Abraham, who was also someone that God made a covenant with. Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, who trusted the Father even to the point of death and so became a blessing to the nations. He is the obedient Israelite who perfectly kept, fulfilled, and thus transcended the law of God. Because of the might of God, he can enable his servant to satisfy the Old Testament with his people and at the same time be a light to the Gentiles or nations. This is how God would bring sight to the blind. The servant is depicted as bringing transformative work into the world. The servant is described as having lordship over both the physical and earthly world. Because of the new covenant, Israelite and Gentile are one in Christ, according to Galatians 3 and 28. Being in Christ provides the believer with covenant benefits That means we get to spend an eternity with the Father. This is good news for us. Lastly, through the ministering servant, God has done new things through the ministering servant. The former things have come to pass and new things I'll now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Verse 9. This section of Scripture and and throughout verses 1 through 9 God flexes a little bit, for lack of better words. God draws our attention to the impossible predictions he will make. He is saying, look at what I have done in the past. Look at my handiwork. God is saying, if I've done it before, I can do it again. He says, I've opened the eyes of the blind, verse 7. I've set the captives free also in verse 7. Before I do what I'm about to do, I will use a prophet to tell you of my next move, and it will be done. 
He is the creator of the heavens and earth, according to verse 5. He is greater than any idol that we can sloppily create with our own hands, shown in verse 8. It is God who spreads out the earth. It is God who gives breath. I imagine in my Holy Spirit mind and all of God's perfection, God is nodding like, yeah, I did that. God tells Satan his plays, runs the play, and the play is still unstoppable. God's mission to establish his kingdom is unstoppable. And by God's grace, you and I get to play a part. This is good news for us. So what does this all mean for us? We have been giving a lot to consider. This, e- this season of Advent helps us to set our gaze on what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do. Jesus will return to restore all the broken systems of the world to judge the righteous and the wicked. The establisher of justice will not only consider the vulnerable, but he will change social structures. He will make it so that no one will ever change the structure to take advantage of the weak. Hear these words from Revelation 21 and 8 as a reminder of what Jesus will do when he returns and what it will look like, what the new Jerusalem will will look like. It says in um, chapter 21, verse 8, sorry, verse 9, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more, and I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In summary, God will make all things new. As the establisher of justice comes, death will be no more. There will be no more pain. All things will be made new. No more injustice, no more wicked systems in place to take advantage of the weak. Eternal justice will be established by our Savior Jesus, who is alive and at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And as we wait for that day, when eternal justice will be established, we do good, figure out who is doing good, and join them. And by the power of the Spirit, we participate in bringing God shalom to Houston. Let's pray. Jesus, the establisher of justice, you bring justice to this earth. You have given us clear directives on how we should move and who we should care for and how we should operate in a way that brings you glory and honor. Lord, you are good. You are kind. You provide us perfectly with what we need. Nothing happens, Lord, that you don't allow. 
God, you work all things for our good. God, in tough times and tough seasons, that is hard to fathom. But God, I trust that your ways are not my ways. But God, I trust that you are working all this in a way that I can one day attest to the fact that you brought me out of and are drawing me ever closer to you. So God, by the power of your spirit, use us as your people to make much of you in Houston and the Heights and our workplaces and our communities and our families. Give us the ability to say tough things and love. And God, I know that people will know that we are your disciples by our love. God, help us to love you more. You stay and love our neighbors as ourselves. And God, to truly be good neighbors, we, we do justice. We seek out the vulnerable. We change structures. God, help us to be hyper aware of those around us who are in need. Father, you are good to us. Remind us of your goodness each day. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.